Hi, Jess. Hi, Neve. How are you? I'm good. It's a beautiful, ugly day in Orlando today. (laughs) Are you excited for our first ever episode? I could not be more excited if my life depended on it. (laughs) If I was held at gunpoint, I couldn't be any more excited. And that's just the tea. Good. I think I picked a good subject today. I'm sure you did. So what do you know about Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, and Star as a whole? Very little, um, actually. I feel like as a lesbian woman, I should definitely know more things about uh, the whole gay rights movement, Uh, but my knowledge lies very much in that outside area where I know nothing. Uh, I did actually go to the the Stonewall Memorial that they had in New York, uh, but that's about as far as my knowledge goes, unfortunately, which sounds like such a shame, and it is a shame to me, Uh, but that is all I know. No, that's Uh, cool. That's cool. Um, So this will be very educational, I'm assuming. I hope so. So the the structure I have for this, and I told you a little bit about that already, um, we're going to talk about Sylvia Rivera's childhood and kind of walk up to where she meets Marsha. Then we're going to backtrack and we're going to do Marsha's childhood up to that same point. Then I'll pick up, we'll talk about Stonewall, we'll talk through that, and then we'll kind of do post-Stonewall, covering Star, covering all of that stuff. Um, So it's going to be like... Timeline wise, it should be easy to follow. We're just going to do some backtracking so that we can cover everything. Um, but I don't want to do like in 1951, <laughs> Sylvia did this and Marsha did this. Like that wouldn't make any sense to me. So, uh, so we're going to start with Sylvia Rivera. So, Sylvia was born on July 2nd, 1951, with the name Ray Jose Christian Rivera Mendoza to Carmen and Jose Rivera in Spanish Harlem or East Harlem which is a racially mixed working class neighborhood on the Upper East Side of New York City. So she was always kind of in New York City area. Love that for her. (laughs) Her parents' marriage was really violent and unstable. Um, Her dad left when she was two. Her mother at that point remarried and gave birth to her sister, Sonia. Uh, Her mother committed suicide when she was 22 years old. Uh, by swallowing rat poison. So, well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, she was 22. The mom was 22, right? Um, Carmen. And Sylvia, at that point, was three years old. Um, so that's rough. She, that, she... Yeah, <laughs> I, I, would, I would classify that as a bit of a uh, difficult childhood. Um, not... not... <laughs> not up there with the happiest yeah uh, for sure definitely not um and that was that was kind of the start to what was a very rough life for sylvia uh when her mother committed suicide she actually urged her three-year-old daughter to do the same thing she was like let's do it together as as many people do (laughs) um it was a very like like that just reminds me of Jonestown, like a very cultish, like, let's drink the Kool-Aid together kind of thing. 
does it do you know why she would no like so, everything i read was just like yeah she tried to get her to do it with her i'm <sighs> assuming it was because of this like fucked up family situation like you know sylvia's dad had already left Jesus. sonia's dad it sounds like was not really in the picture so i'm assuming her mom's thought was like you're not gonna have a good life let's just end it together I feel like that's not really the move uh, when it comes to children. <laughs> right. Um, but a three-year-old, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, but whatever three, floats your Yeah, three-year-old Sylvia was kind of smart. She said, <laughs> "She said no, I'm not going to do that. Just say no. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, the country is a better place because Sylvia just said no. I would agree. Um, and that's why we listen to D.A.R.E. at all times. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy Reagan. This Thank is you. the one thing that the Reagans did was give us this slogan. Exactly. That's it. For for you know all of the wonderful things that the <laughs> that the Reagans did for gay people, of all of those things, the most important. Yeah, but we'll, we have we'll do an episode on the AIDS crisis. We don't need to get in into detail about Ronald Reagan right now. Um. So anyway, back to Sylvia. Um, so Carmen was her mom, right? Carmen was her mom who had killed herself at this point. Uh, neither of her husbands, whether it was Sylvia's dad or Sonia's dad, um, and remember Sylvia was still like a three-year-old, obviously at this point was identifying as a boy because mm-hmm. he, she was three. So... She hadn't, she hadn't had that opportunity to really embrace anything yet. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's kind of important to remember um, at this point because it is a little bit messy. So neither of Carmen's husbands were interested in raising the children, Sylvia and Sonia. So they went to live with Carmen's mother, who they called Viejita, uh, which means little old one in Spanish. <laughs> So a beautiful name. Yeah. Um, it's cute. It's cute. So they lived in Jersey City. So obviously just across the river from New York City um, towards New Jersey area. And everyone knows New Jersey is the best place to live. Um, <laughs> is this just like full on New Jersey slander? Is that what's going to happen today? New Jersey has produced so many beautiful, wonderful people. Um, <laughs> but you know Frank it is not just from new jersey it's new jersey though is the problem so uh continue okay <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> um so yes they lived in jersey city sonia's biological father at some point decided he was gonna come back and he was gonna take sonia to go live with him in puerto rico uh but of course he didn't take sylvia because that wasn't his kid uh and how how dare you want to be responsible for a child that was important to someone you loved? Right, and that's the thing is like at the time of, um, like he married, he married Carmen, right? So he technically was Sylvia's stepdad, but he was like, nah, I don't want Sylvia or Ray at this point. Um, so he he took Sonia to go live with him in Puerto Rico. And Sonia and Sylvia pretty much never saw each other after this. Aww. Yeah. 
I don't I don't know. I wasn't able to find what age they were. I think they were still quite young. Um because in every account I read this was while Sylvia was still at school. Um so I I don't I couldn't find an exact age, but it seems like Sylvia was younger than 10 when this happened. Wow. Um and just was not able to see Sonia after that. That's really sad. I cannot imagine that at yeah. all. Yeah. It's uh that's that's so she's pretty much lost everyone at this point, right? She doesn't have her mom. Uh her dad was just not in the picture, wasn't interested. Um and now her sister's been taken to Puerto Rico. So it's pretty much just Sylvia and Viajita. Uh so they moved to the Lower East Side in New York City. They moved back to New York. Um, but life was still really difficult for them. So Viajita was depressed. She was working all the time. Uh, so she often sent Sylvia to go and live with her friends, Viajita's friends, not Sylvia's friends, uh, for short periods of time. So, you know, just free babysitting while she was off working. She also apparently beat Sylvia and told her that she didn't want her. Uh, and Sylvia later said she thinks that this is because she had a dark-skinned Puerto Rican father and Viajita wanted a white child. Great. Uh, so uh, Sylvia basically had a terrible life is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And we're not even at the worst part. Oh, great. Yeah. So, you know, strap in for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buckling up. <laughs> just, just get yourself ready because the depression has not yet hit to the full extent. Um, this period was super stressful for Sylvia because this is when she was increasingly identifying as Sylvia, as a woman. So in the fourth grade, which is what, 10, 11 years old, maybe? I was I homeschooled, so <laughs> I cannot really contribute to this conversation. I think it's 10. I'll go I with think that. it's 10, yeah. Um, so when she was 10 in fourth grade, she started wearing makeup to school and she was really into skin tight clothes, which, you know, this is the 60s, the early 60s. Um, so obviously society was a little bit different at that point, but skin tight clothes in fourth grade would still be frowned upon today, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> it's interesting to think... Um, how that would have looked in the 60s when it's someone who is male presenting, right? Um, obviously, Sylvia is beginning to identify as a woman, but Viajita is still kind of running the show. Uh, so Sylvia is still using the name Ray. And uh, as far as things like, you know, hair and um, body type, obviously still fairly male presenting. Um but she did start embracing makeup and those those more skin tight clothes. So it's it's interesting I think to think about like how that would be perceived nowadays and yeah. then just imagine how much worse that probably was for her back yeah, then. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can't imagine it would probably be weird to see a 10-year-old wearing skin tight clothes and makeup in general mm -hmm. like regardless of like gender and like gender presentation like I feel like that's not typical they are 10 mm -hmm. so 
I can only imagine what a, what it must have been like to see that back then mm-hmm. when things were just a little bit different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was just physical presentation, right? Those were ju- just the physical changes that Sylvia was undergoing. On top of that, she began engaging in sexual behavior with an older male cousin who was 14, and she was obviously 10, oh fourth grade. Um, yeah, that was the start of things. She also was engaging in sexual behavior with a married neighbor, a male married neighbor. No. And a married male teacher in her school. At 10? At 10. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And I saw this in a few different sources. Um, the main one was from Jesse Gann from the City University of New York. She goes really in depth with it. Um, she quotes Sylvia as saying, as I've grown up, I've realized that I do have a certain attraction to men, but I believe that growing up the way I did, I was basically pushed into this role. In Spanish cultures, if you're effeminate, you're automatically an F slur. You're a gay boy. I mean, you start off as a young child and you don't have an option, especially back then. You were either an F slur or a D slur. There was no in between. Um, and obviously I'm kind of censoring the slurs there just because it's, uh, it's bad enough just reading the words, like reading, you know, everything else Sylvia had to say. We don't need to include the, the slurs in there for yeah. that to be um, an impactful message from her. Um, so, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> That's- that is... That's so sad. Yeah. So that's her childhood. Uh, And I think that, and that, you know, I'm saying that's her childhood in that this is where I ended in my notes, the section on her childhood. Then I go into like her young adult life. And what I wanted to know about that was like the point where I'm ending these notes on her childhood, she's 10 years old. Which is not the end of childhood. Right. But it was, uh, but apparently to some people it is. It was the end of her childhood. It was definitely the end of Sylvia's, uh, and that's probably the worst part of all of this. I would say, absolutely. That's. Uh, I th- I think that is like the culmination of everything that she went through, is just the fact that she was no longer a child at the age of ten because she was having sex with older men. She was identifying as a woman she was being beaten she was living in poverty she lost everyone she cared about it's a tough life no kidding (laughs) i really cannot imagine like when we talk about privilege you know and this is not to say that that privilege is a different thing nowadays but i think when we talk about privilege it's like this idea that everyone i know has privilege over that life yeah absolutely yeah regardless of where we're at it's like no one i know has gone through anything like that like childhood ending at 10 because you just had no choice you know yeah i know (laughs) i don't even know how to respond to that like what can i say that is it like breaks my heart to think about it and it's just hard to imagine. I don't even really want to imagine 
but jeez yeah there's like no words yeah it's it's it definitely left me speechless as well um because you like trying to conceptualize that trying to understand that being someone like I thought I had it rough moving to America at 10 you know <laughs> like I thought that was kind of like life ending for I me I think you still qualify as a child at 10 though <laughs> exactly <laughs> like you know and that's the thing is like that like everything is uh ev- like th- those kind of experiences are very subjective right absolutely um, yeah and saying you know that was very tough for me probably one of the toughest things I've gone through and I still will say today that was a very difficult experience for me. I don't think that that is a false statement. I think that's true. Putting it into perspective. Yeah, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the worst right. thing that could have happened. Right. But it's one of those things, again, that like you're you're kind of walking that, that tightrope of like you don't want to be you know, the parent that's like, eat your food because they don't have food in Africa, you know? Yeah. Like, like, you, like you always used to get when you were a kid. Like, that was what, that's what parents say, right? Make sure you finish what's on your plate, you know? And don't be sad because people have it worse than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, obviously you don't want to invalidate anyone's struggles, but you, then you read something like this and you're like, holy shit. Like, it really kind of checks that checks your privilege if you've never checked your privilege on your own that does it for you I exactly think. hearing something like that you're like oh my god oh my god so that's her childhood <laughs> it's uh it doesn't improve a great deal for a little bit and then it gets like kind of okay <laughs> sylvia never really had like a great life so that's just a heads up. This is not going to be like a fun time. Look at this amazing person having a really fun time. Because most of the time she was not having a fun time. Wow. <laughs> Great. That's think, good to like, hear. Like, um, we'll talk about this, you know, in a second. But she she got to a point where she was enjoying the work she was doing. And I, I do think she ended her life in a positive place. Um, I think she did really manage to turn things around and start to, like, enjoy her life and have a good time. But, you know, she definitely made the most of a bad situation because she did a really good job of turning things around and feeling very positive about what she had. Um, but I think when you when you look at what was going on in the background, it's hard to not feel sorry for her. And it's hard to feel like she really did enjoy her life. Yeah. But I do think she did at the same time. Like, obviously not that part. Mm-hmm. But I think when she got into activism, I do think she really enjoyed what she was doing. And I think she was happy. It's just hard to see that from an outside perspective. So this is where we get to 42nd Street. So she's she's 12 at this point. This is where her adult life begins. <laughs> um Finally, she entered adulthood at 12 years I old. Guess, I guess 11 was a fairly uneventful year for her or probably the same as like what happened when she was 10 because uh, I couldn't find any new information for uh, 11 years old. But 
She started her affairs when she was 10, and then when she was 12, uh, this is when she dropped out of school. She had been bullied. She'd been called the F slur. Um, you know, that was just kind of like daily life. Um, so she drops out of school at 12, which I guess would probably be end of elementary school, maybe beginning of middle. Again, homeschool. <laughs> Can't really. Uh, I don't remember. Let you know. Yeah, I don't remember, but I think it would be like the beginning of middle school. Um, so she dropped out. She began hanging out at 42nd Street in the Times Square area. This is where a lot of gay men and trans women spent time and traded sex for money. It's also where the musical 42nd Street takes place. Really? It's shocking. I know. <laughs> I never would have guessed. Yeah. You, most people can't. It's a little bit of a <laughs> underground information, but uh, also not related. Well, thank you. You're thank so you for, for sharing your, you know, Broadway secrets with us. I know. I like to let people into the, like, Broadway world for just a moment. <laughs> so... <laughs> So at this point, right, in the in the early to mid 60s, um, hustling was the term that was used for male to male prostitution at the time. Uh, and for many people living on 42nd Street, this was really the only way to survive. It was the only way that you could really make money, um, especially for people like Sylvia, who were working hard to change their their gender image. So how they looked um, and how they were perceived by others. Um, when someone looked like a drag queen, as Sylvia would identify, uh, it's hard to get work. Obviously, yeah. in you know, in the in the early sixties, like it was not um, an acceptable time for things like that. And I think, especially putting that in context of the civil rights movement being in you know sixty four and mm -hmm. kind of around that same time. Um, we think we, I think when we look back as white people, when we look back at the 60s, we tend to romanticize it and think of it as like this hippy dippy, like everyone was smoking pot and having a great time. And, you Peace, know, love. Yeah, <laughs> we think of it as like and I mean, you have like the sex revolution happening in the 60s and 70s. So we start like when we look back at it now, we think of it as this like really progressive, really open time because you had this massive counterculture movement. But then when you think about persecuted groups that doesn't translate mm -hmm. right when we look back at the city it's the same way as like when white people tend to look back on the 50s they think about listening to fun music and wearing like the the big skirt poodle, poodle skirts, skirts. Yeah. yeah and dancing in a diner and drinking milkshakes and like that sounds great <laughs> but there was a lot of racism like there was a lot of there was a lot of shit happening that we tend to not think about when we reflect on those decades yeah um and so i i think that it's important to contextualize sylvia's experience in the 60s as being within the civil rights movement and not just as being within like this sex positive framing because it's important to remember sylvia was of latinx descent marcia mm -hmm. johnson who we'll talk about in a second obviously was black so the two of them had their own racial and ethnic struggles to overcome in the 60s as well as being trans women like they had a fucking difficult time no kidding <laughs> yeah i can you would still have a difficult time with those identities in 2020 for sure so it's it's uh 
worth thinking about the 60s in that framing right in the sense of like stonewall hadn't happened because these two because are very they important do players <laughs> yeah um so you you don't even have any kind of like gay liberation movement like that's not even a, a concept in people's minds so this is just something that happens this is what christopher street looks like and that's where the stonewall inn is right that's where um all of the kind of pride stuff happens so 42nd street and uh times square at this point was kind of filled with male prostitutes gay male prostitutes and trans women uh when sylvia started spending time here viajita found out and they fought obviously because yeah Viajita... i don't think viajita would be a very big fan no of revelation. <laughs> if she had already been beating sylvia from a young age it kind of makes sense that she she wouldn't be down for this i think uh yeah using our context clues um we can tell <laughs> that uh there would probably be a little bit of uh, fallout from this. I like hearing your English teacher come out in that. That's that's fun. Your inner uh, English teacher persona. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so Sylvia, because of this, attempted suicide. She didn't when she was three, when her mom asked her, but now she's 12. So now she said yes. Yeah. Dare and... can only go so far. <laughs> like... It's not even been 10 years, yeah. right? And and this is kind of where she's at. So she attempts. Uh, she's unsuccessful. So Viejita commits her to a mental hospital for two months. So she's institutionalized for two months. When she's released, she runs back to 42nd Street. She's like, I want nothing to do with Viejita. I don't want to be involved with her. I want to yeah. go live my life. I wonder what um, the like experience in the mental institution must have been like with her like gender presentation like i probably wouldn't want to run back to viajita either right. if i were her like getting put someplace that probably wasn't going to treat me any better right like wow yeah and that like that's a really interesting point because i when i was researching this it's like i have a lot to cover right i want to cover sylvia i want to cover marsha and i want to cover like their work together i didn't even think to look into the her time being institutionalized i didn't find anything uh in the readings that i did so i was like all right like we'll focus on everything else all of the <laughs> other hell that she has to go through um but yeah that would be interesting like I don't I don't know that she ever talked about that. She's not a super open person. I probably wouldn't want to talk about it either. Yeah. But Just I think that honest. would be interesting because I'm sure her experience there would not be very nice. Yeah. So, and I'm sure like you're saying, I'm sure she probably felt institutionalized just being in a house with Viejita. Mm -hmm. Like she probably didn't feel free. <laughs> yeah. So when she's released from the mental hospital, she goes back to 42nd Street, and that's where she finds an accepting community of gay men. Some of them are in drag, some of them are passing as women, and some of them are men. Um, so she was still, like, around 10 to 12. Like, she was still at a young age at this point. This was when they had a christening for her because she started using the name Sylvia Lee Rivera. Yeah, so she finally, like, found That's her so place. That's so sweet. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah. 
And things do start to get better. Mm-hmm. Things do really start to pick up at this point. Um, it's still difficult. She still has a difficult life. But because she has now found her place, found her community, she starts to feel a bit more at home and a bit more kind of, she puts herself out there and makes friends and feels kind of more comfortable with the people around her. She still struggles though. Um, And I think, I would say like she feels, she has a community of people struggling with her and that's the difference, right? Yeah. Like she's still facing a lot of trials and tribulations, but because she's not doing it alone and she gets to actually be Sylvia at this point, I think I think things really start looking up for her. Mm-hmm. So, uh, going back to Jessie Gann, um, what she is quoted as saying is when drag queens were arrested, and this is Sylvia's words again, when drag queens were arrested, what degradation there was. We always felt that the police were the real enemy. We expected nothing better than to be treated like we were animals. And we were. We were stuck in a bullpen like a bunch of freaks. We were disrespected. A lot of us were beaten up and raped. When I ended up going to jail to do 90 days, they tried to rape me. I very nicely beat the shit out of a man. Very nicely. Yeah. At least she did it nicely. (laughs) At least she was polite. Um, No, I... I like if you weren't already sold on Sylvia, I think that does it. <laughs> Just that kind of badass. That quote, like, she's really cool. Yeah. She's a very cool person. Um, and I think, you know, you And wow, that uh how that still reigns true today. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, yeah. nothing's changed. Right. So <laughs> and and we know and we obviously I think we should talk um in the future about like the phenomenon of corrective rape um Mm -hmm. and the issues that women still face uh in that like specifically queer women yeah right with corrective rape um and i think this is while it may not be specifically you know she doesn't outline that it has anything to do with her gender identity i don't think you would be wrong to assume that it does Mm -hmm. right she's saying when drag queens were arrested what degradation there was the police were the real enemy so it's it's heavily implied i think that all of this persecution is happening from the police because of the way they identify Mm -hmm. um and i think you can make the case for that being corrective rape so it's interesting to see all of this happen and to see it still happen today with very little having changed there really has not been a lot of a sad lot of as change. hell. It's yeah. sad as hell. That's a great, a great <laughs> way of, of describing that. Yeah, thank you. I kind of have a way with words. <laughs> uh, so Jessie Gann, in her own words, says, When, because of a police crackdown on Vice, Sylvia ended up in prison at Rikers Island in the cell block reserved for gay crimes. There was a cell block for gay crimes, which is cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, she- <laughs> interesting way to put it. It's- sure. <laughs> She met a black queen friend named Bambi Lamour. In jail, the two developed a reputation for being, quote, crazy abnormal bitches, according to Rivera. Nobody ever fucked with us. That's sick as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think Sylvia's very cool. Very cool person. Um, even when she's being shoved in a jail cell for gay crimes. <laughs> 
you she know, still those, manages to those assert. gay crimes. They always get me with them gay crimes. <laughs> I just that is it's, it's an so interesting specific. Yeah, it's like like imagine going to a courtroom today and being accused of gay crimes. Like, and there are like in other countries, I'm sure there's yeah, plenty of oh, that. Absolutely. But like here, I cannot. It's interesting oh. to think what might like. I'm sure it was just like prostitution, but gay. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's Which like you bake a cake, regular. but you put this little gay sprinkle on top. Yeah. It's like. Prostitution is bad, but gay prostitution, worse, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> homelessness is bad, but gay homelessness, awful. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to arrest you for that. Yeah. Rough. Rough period. Um, but once she kind of got out of Rikers Island and was back on 42nd Street, this was the period when she met probably the two most important people of her life. She met someone that she's only ever referred to as Gary. We don't know his real name. She just calls him Gary. They fell in love and they lived together. I love that for her. (laughs) They made money as sex workers and were often addicted to drugs. Don't love that for her. (laughs) They were together for seven years. Like, they were together for a really long time. They lived in a relatively safe $25 a week hotel room. But Sylvia was still assaulted, robbed, and arrested multiple times while this was happening. But at least they had a home. (laughs) You know, my $25 a week hotel. (laughs) At least they had a place to stay. That's true. Yeah. And they had each other. They were in love. No. A love story for the ages. (laughs) This was also when she met Marsha P. Johnson. Our girl Marsha. Marsha quickly became Sylvia's friend. They ended up being lifelong friends and political allies. They went to numerous rallies together. They started a whole bunch of things together. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, When they met in 1962, Marsha was six years older, which I guess she always was six years older. But when they they met... (laughs) Um, she, she continued she, to age. Uh, she did not just turn it was, she, six years Marsha old. P. Johnson is Benjamin Button. She was <laughs> aging backwards. So when they met, she was six years older. And then a, li- a year later, she was five years uh, older. And yeah. it just, yeah. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Um, I'm great at taking notes, if you couldn't tell. Uh, so when they, when they met, and also forever, Marsha was six years older. But when they met, uh, Marsha took Sylvia under her care and protected her. And Aww. was like a little kind of mothering figure or maybe a, maybe a sisterly figure. Um, yeah, sweet, very sweet, very nice friendship. Um, in the mid-1960s, so not too far along from all of this chaos that we've just talked about, right, going to... Uh, prison multiple times and kind of being on 42nd street and kind of in and out of institutions Uh, in the mid 60s sylvia began hormone treatment thinking that she wanted to undergo some kind of body transformation but after a few treatments she decided not to pursue that she told her friends quote i just want to be me i just want to be sylvia rivera i like pretending i like to have this role i like to dress up and pretend and let the world think about what i am is he or isn't he that's what I enjoy. So Sylvia is interesting. Yeah, Sylvia is a very interesting person in that she she never really stops referring to herself with male pronouns. 
Like she kind of always, she uses a mixture whenever she talks about herself. Um, like even in just that quote, I just want to be Sylvia Rivera. And then a couple sentences later, is he or isn't he, you know? Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's interesting that she, she has her specific identity and feels very comfortable with it. Uh, it just may be confusing to, to people that aren't Sylvia. But it really only matters to Sylvia. Exactly. And she's comfortable. She's happy at this point. Like she's feeling, you know, set in, in where she is. And it's not her problem if it confuses anyone. Exactly. Like, exactly. She doesn't owe anyone an explanation. You know, she and we use I'm using she her pronouns because that seems to be preferred for her. Like she refers to herself with he him sometimes, but most frequently uses she her. Mm -hmm. And every article that you read says she her. So that's kind of why. Yeah. You know, that those are the accepted pronouns for Sylvia, but she kind of does her own thing. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. So that's Sylvia. That's Sylvia up until she meets Marsha. Now we're going to talk about Marsha. Was her childhood um, also like Sylvia's? It was also rough. It was not as bad. Okay. Yeah. I'll so it's not it. as it's not as depressing. Okay. And that's not to say that Marsha didn't have her own struggles. Oh, she absolutely. definitely yeah. did. Um the thing is I read multiple accounts of Marsha and of her childhood and I couldn't find details that got as specific and as nitty gritty as Sylvia's. So I'm making the assumption then that it wasn't as bad because I just could not find anything. Mm-hmm. So I could be wrong. Yeah. And if I am, I would love to, you know, do more research and, and find out what is out there. Um, but I read multiple accounts and, and you know, I, I put in the struggles that she had. And yeah. there were struggles. It just wasn't, you know, her mom ingesting rat poison at three and years old. trying to convince you to also yeah. uh, ingest rat poison. Yeah. So this is a, a little bit short, so because of that. So Marsha was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey on August 24th, 1945 as Malcolm Michaels Jr. Her dad was obviously Malcolm Michaels Sr. Whoa. <laughs> Again, with the context clues. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, she was the fifth of seven children. Um, and a lot of this information, that information, uh, and most of the things kind of going forward are from Casey Washington of blackpast.org. Um, again, there's, there's good explanations on a lot of websites that cover some of these things, but Casey Washington, I found, covered things the most in-depth, um, so I kind of am referring to them for a lot of this information. Uh, Marsha was raised Roman Catholic and remained religious despite the church's intolerance for LGBTQ people. She was religious for her whole life. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, especially considering, you know, she was born in 1945. She kind of came up through a very tricky time, um, and was just fully devoted. Yeah. I mean, religion, regardless of whether or not you're religious yourself, is a really, like, like a sort of beautiful thing in its own way. Like, cause 
it just brings people a lot of solace and things even if the church itself doesn't necessarily agree with Mm -hmm. you like if people analyze their religious texts on their own and come to their own conclusion i i love that for them yeah Um, so yeah i just find just the whole uh how religion like coincides with yeah like being religious without necessarily conforming to a specific church or a specific kind of line of thought absolutely yeah um yeah i do think it's interesting she was she was definitely religious there's nothing to say that she was devout roman catholic and went to church church every sunday um Communion. All I could find was that she remained religious. I don't think that people really are going to write on that, frankly. Yeah. I think there's a lot more interesting information about Martha or Marsha. <laughs> um, and I think that people are more concerned with kind of what happened later in life than, you know, her level of religiosity throughout life. Is that a real word? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you learned <laughs> maybe something you're new. The, maybe you're the English <laughs> teacher here. Um so around the age of five, that's when Marsha started dressing as a girl. So a little bit earlier than Sylvia, mm-hmm. not by much. Uh, but, you know, being five, going to church and dressing as a girl, not really all that acceptable. Yeah, not in not 1950. The big thing you're supposed to do, apparently. Yeah, so. Who would have thought? Her dad was very upset. He was like, hey, don't do that. And society was also like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, so she kind of struggled. She she held out until she graduated high school. Okay, so she... So we have this whole chunk of time from the age of five until 18, right, where she's graduating high school, that I couldn't find any, like, traumatic Sylvia level. yeah. I'm sure she had some trauma. Yeah, I'm sure she kind of struggled. I'm sure she went through the thing that a lot of gay kids still go through, you know, at school. Um, Just not as well documented. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure, you know, she faced those struggles. She graduated high school in 1963. Uh, She moved to, at that point, moved to Greenwich Village with $15 and a bag of clothes. And that's the essentials. She's almost got enough money to live for a week in the $25 a week hotel yeah I think it <laughs> so close I think it's it's funny because you hear a lot of that nowadays you hear a lot of that in movies of people moving to New York with $15 and a bag of clothes um and then obviously made it uh Marsha did that not because she was looking to be a, a star in New York <laughs> she did it just to get out you know, not be yeah. in her small town and be in somewhere that was a bit more, like, tolerant of well, her. <laughs> uh, didn't you say she uh, was from New Jersey? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it adds up. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm the, saying. The it's just full-on New Jersey slander in this <laughs> in this episode. Um, so Marsha was homeless. Uh, she also turned to prostitution to survive. So that is very similar to Sylvia. Um, and they probably moved to New York City around the same time. You know, Sylvia went to 42nd Street in the early 60s. And, and Marsha so went in Marcia. 63. So. Wow. Yeah. So they probably got there around the same time. 
but it took a little while for them to meet. So, uh, Masha switched names repeatedly during this time. Sometimes she went by Malcolm. Sometimes she went by Black Masha. Uh, and eventually she settled on Masha P. Johnson. She chose the last name of Johnson because she enjoyed hanging out at Howard Johnson's, which was a popular restaurant. Marsha, I couldn't find an explanation, but I'm assuming because it sounds fairly close to Malcolm. Um, Also because it's a pretty name. It is a nice name. It is a nice name. Um, And the P is obviously the most kind of... Patrick. No. (laughs) Well, I tried. (laughs) The P is like the most well-known aspect of her name i would say uh because whenever she was asked like oh what does the p stand for she said pay it no mind (laughs) so she just wanted people to know like hey this is none of your business let me do my thing so not patrick no not patrick well i tried you were close i tried i was very close yeah actually there were two letters in similar they were the same. Yeah, it was. P-A- you had like a fifty-fifty shot. It was either gonna be Patrick or Pay It No Mind, and you just went with the wrong. I know it happens. Yeah. That was my second guess. Actually, I meant to say Pay It No Mind, uh, but I said Patrick. You just got a little preoccupied. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm so sorry. Uh, happens to me all the time. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Um, so Marsha, at this point, also dealt with a series of mental health problems, and that occasionally led to her being institutionalized, the same as Sylvia. But she institutionalized herself. Okay, like she would yeah, do it more I was voluntarily. Like, yeah. She didn't have, like, viejita in the background being like, hey. Who knows? Maybe she has a viejita in her mind. <laughs> so that's Marsha. I told you it would be a little bit smaller. She uh, she was a little bit... A little bit of a tamer childhood. Yeah. You know, it's... And good for her. Yeah. Yeah. And she obviously still had her struggles. She moved to New York. She was homeless. She was a prostitute. Um, she was struggling, but uh, not quite as rough as Sylvia's childhood, I would hope. That's certainly how it seems. So, Stonewall. Woo. The big one. Um, I don't want to go super in-depth with Stonewall. I think it's important that we have a full discussion of Stonewall at a different yeah, time. Yeah, I agree. So... Um, I wanted to address it because this was kind of where they became nationally recognized. Um, and obviously there's a lot of discourse about who threw the first brick. A lot of people say it was Marsha. Some people say it was Sylvia. Really, how it seems to be, based on every account I've read, is that no one really knows. And it wasn't <laughs> either of them. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. Um, we're going to have to go back in time ourselves and find out. Yeah. I, I don't know that we'll ever find out because how, what it seems based on, you know, the accounts I've read and the podcasts I've listened to, I have this book, the Stonewall Reader, and you know, there's, there's people who have their opinions. There's people who say, yeah, it was Sylvia. And then there's people who say it definitely wasn't, (laughs) um, but everything I've read and everything I've heard indicates that it was most likely just a random person at Stonewall, which makes sense. And that's and that's sort of beautiful. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be a big name yeah. to make a Yeah, you don't have change. to be the standout, like... Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Marsha was one of the first drag queens to go to the Stonewall Bar. Um, and we'll kind of obviously cover this when we talk more about Stonewall. But um, she was, yeah, she was one of the earliest drag queens to go. Mm-hmm. So Sylvia says that she was involved on the night of the riots. And when I say Marsha was one of the first to go, I mean to the actual like bar, like the yeah. actual kind of club aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about the specific night, the specific event of the Stonewall riots, Sylvia says she was there. A lot of people disagree with her. Um, she said that was her first time ever visiting Stonewall. And I do have a note somewhere in here if I can find yeah so her exact quote was uh, this was in an interview with Eric Marcus who hosts a podcast called Making Gay History and he shares a lot of these interviews um, with that he has had with important figures such as Sylvia this was from a 1989 interview that he had with her her exact quote was everybody's like why the fuck are we doing this all for the attitudes in people and a lot of people at that time were so involved. Like I said, I was involved in different movements. The people at them bars, especially at the Stonewall, were involved in other movements. And everybody like, all right, we got to do our thing. We're going to go for it. When they ushered us out, they very nicely put you out the door. Then you're standing across the street in Sheridan Square Park. But why? Everybody's looking at each other. But why do we have to keep on constantly putting up with this? And the nickels, the dimes, the pennies, and the quarters started flying. So then Marcus asks, why was that? Why were the people throwing their change? Why were they throwing these nickels and dimes? And Sylvia says, that was the payoff. You already got some, so here's some more. And she goes really in-depth talking about her experience at Stonewall. She's like, it was really beautiful. Um, she, you know, She's super like specific as to the police coming in, here's what they did, they put a padlock on the door, it didn't matter because we were all kind of fighting. Um, a lot of people just say that she wasn't there. <laughs> so it, it is really interesting to me that she is very adamant. She's telling this story as if it's her personal narrative and a lot of people just outright say like she was not there. So that's interesting, I think. Um, Marsha is one of the people who said Sylvia wasn't there. Dang, call her out, I guess. <laughs> Marsha says Sylvia fell asleep in Bryant Park and missed the event altogether. <laughs> it happens. And a lot of other people just say, I did not see Sylvia there. Then again, wasn't it like a big thing? Like there were quite a few people yeah, there. Yeah, there were a lot of people so there. So it could be that she was just overlooked. Yeah, I, I think... The reason that they point that out as being kind of a, an important thing is Sylvia makes it seem like she was very involved um, uh, yeah. and people are like, I did not see you stepping up. You know, I did not see you um, acting as like a leader or like an instigator. Um, I just didn't see you, period. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so we don't we don't really know. Uh, what Sylvia's level of involvement is there are most people I would say most people who you know know baseline information about Stonewall claim that Marsha threw the first brick Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what you tend to see a lot like 
we saw that a lot on Instagram this year, right? Was because it, it like the Stonewall anniversary coincided with the Black Lives Matter protest this yeah. year. So you saw a lot of people posting, um, when you celebrate Pride Month, don't forget that a black trans woman threw the first brick. Yeah. That's not entirely true. Right? Or it's potentially it's, not It's potentially true. true and it's potentially not true. It's most likely not true. But she was still important and I think we should still definitely absolutely. give her credit where credit yeah, is due. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the whole point of talking about her, yeah. right? Is to recognize you don't need to throw that first brick at Stonewall to be the person that starts an entire movement. Uh-huh. I do think we need to give Marsha credit uh, and Sylvia credit as being the individuals who began the gay rights movement in the U.S. Yeah. We would not have anything that we have today as far as, like, our rights if we didn't have Marsha and Sylvia. So I do think we need to give them credit. I just don't think we should focus on the first brick at Stonewall being the reason that we give them credit. Especially Mm -hmm. because when you look at the way that people were framing rioters even this year, you know, saying, like, people were looting and rioting and out in the streets in 2020 you know the racism that comes along with that and the the framing that that people have about that throwing a brick is maybe not the best thing to attribute to someone Mm -hmm. when you're talking about them starting a movement um let's give them credit for everything that they did yeah let's talk about all of the wonderful things that they were able to accomplish So let's talk about that now. Let's get into it. Nice segue. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So Sylvia and Marsha really embraced the rebellion, even if they weren't at Stonewall. It it seems to be commonly accepted that Marsha was there, at the very least. Sylvia, it's like, "Mm, maybe. But Marsha, it seems to be that she was there um, because she went to Stonewall frequently. Because of what happened with Stonewall, Marsha and Sylvia began something called Star. We'll talk about Star in a second, but I wanted to kind of talk about what happens in the US because of Stonewall. Obviously, things do kind of change. Um, And again, we'll talk about this at length when we talk about Stonewall. But it has to be mentioned because it's a really important aspect of who Marsha and Sylvia are as individuals. So the riots really changed the national political climate and forced the country to reckon with queer rights for the first time ever. Two organizations began in New York City, the Gay Liberation Front, or the GLF, and the Gay Activists Alliance, or the GAA. Marsha joined the GLF, and Sylvia went to a few meetings but didn't formally join. Arthur Bell, who was a founder of the GAA, so the other organization that they weren't going to, said, quote, The general membership is frightened of Sylvia and thinks she's a troublemaker. They're frightened by street people. Yikes. That's a yikes. Yeah. That is a big yikes. Yeah. Not gonna lie. So, um, it's interesting. It's, I think... I think a lot of it is racism. <gasps> surprise, surprise. Wow, racism in um, the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, my God. You know, just this this aspect of calling them 
street people, uh, when the people who tended to be living on the streets were overwhelmingly trans women or ethnic minorities that were also queer in some way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, for, for, for our guy, Arthur Bell, to be coming out and saying that. A not little great. disappointing. Yeah, Don't know not Arthur, great. but I'm disappointed in him. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll talk about him at some point. Maybe we just won't give him the time of day. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, Martin Duberman, who is a gay historian, um, and I honestly couldn't tell you if that means he's a historian and he's gay, or if he focuses on gay history. I think or maybe pro- both. maybe both. Probably both. Probably both. Definitely he he studies gay history. (laughs) I don't know if he's also gay. Uh, Maybe I should have checked that, but uh, I'm a bad journalist, so I'm not a journalist. I'm a bad researcher. (laughs) Um, But he is quoted as saying, if someone was not shunning her darker skin or sniggering at her passionate, fractured English, they were deploring her rude anarchism as inimical to order or denouncing her sashaying ways as offensive to womanhood and that's about sylvia yikes <laughs> to all of those people that were doing that <laughs> yeah so so he's really characterizing all of society at this point as being really not great really uh yeah not not fans of sylvia Um, But she kept going to meetings. She kept expressing herself loudly. She participated in the political actions and activism of the time. But other women were concerned and didn't like her. And again, you can see this this focus on Sylvia as being like the main target. Marcia seemed to really kind of fall in line with what people expected of activists at this point or at least of trans activists to just kind of like do what you're told uh sylvia was a lot more of a uh firebrand kind of character she was like no i've gone through enough shit in my life i don't need you to tell me what to do Mm -hmm. and i have a lot of respect for both of them for the ways they they went about things i think it's really interesting that they were so close and they did a lot of stuff together but they were very different in the way that they handled things um and that's not to say that, you know, Sylvia didn't have times where she fell in line or whatever. And Marsha didn't have times where she was more kind of out there because they definitely did. Um, it just seems that Sylvia was the one who was ostracized the most, that people really did not like her. So tensions between Sylvia and the women who were really concerned about her came to a head at the 1973 Gay Pride Rally in Washington Square Park, again in New York City. Jean O'Leary publicly denounced Sylvia for, quote, parodying womanhood. Okay, Jean. Uh, (laughs) Keep it to yourself. Come on. With a name like Jean, really? (laughs) Sorry to all the Jeans out there. Yeah, apologies to the jeans, but uh, but Gina O'Leary... She's not really representing you guys that well. Um, That seemed to be a big thing with people. They did not like that Sylvia was very uh, unabashedly trans and very unapologetic about her gender identity. Uh, So lesbian feminist liberation, which is uh, 
an organization of the time, passed out flyers opposing the, quote, female impersonators. Uh, <laughs> Let's go, lesbians. Let's not go, <laughs> lesbians. Yeah. Why? Um, not great. Yeah. So, no. giving us a bad name now. Wow. Yeah. And, lot, and again, like, that's. Uh, this is a talking point for another day, but there's a lot of of discrimination and homophobia and transphobia phobia and biphobia and whatever within queer activism. Honestly, frick turfs. Frick <laughs> them. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Thank you. Um yeah, I guess you could call Gina Leary a turf. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Said, don't don't parody womanhood. Yeah, not great. Uh, that caused Sylvia to again attempt suicide. Not again. And drop out of the movement. Great. Okay, so they fricked it up for yeah, everyone. They basically just shamed her out of nice participating. Great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So she's she's kind of done. That was 1973. So to talk about Star, we are going to go back a little bit, but uh, but that's fine. So that's kind of the outside activism. Sylvia and Marsha also spoke about a third gender identity, which was a topic that really hadn't been explored at the time and still continues to not really be explored. So that's interesting, I think. I agree. (laughs) I concur. And Marsha, at this point in time, she was kind of having a good time. She was kind of living her best life. So while Sylvia's trying to kill herself, uh, Marsha's out here living the life. Yeah. In 1972, Marsha performed around the world with the popular drag theater company Hot Peaches. Well, that's nice. Yeah. She was she was chilling. She was just simply vibing, having a very good time. Uh, Andy Warhol featured Marsha in a 1975 screen print portfolio of drag queens and transgender activists at the nightclub Gilded Grape. So she was out here, she was touring the world with a drag theater company. She was being featured in magazines, in portfolios from Andy Warhol. Absolutely living the life. Yeah. Talk about star material, right? And star Sil- material. Sylvia, oh, star <laughs> material. That was rough. Uh, but a good transition, a good segue to talking about star. Woo. She definitely was star material. Um, but it is interesting, like you said, to think about the juxtaposition in, in what they had going on at that time. Like, Marsha's kind of vibing. Sylvia had it rough and gets it rougher. And, well, that implies something weird sylvia (laughs) had it rough and continued to have it rough and marcia had it rough but now she's vibing so yeah and it's interesting and i think that was was why like when i had the idea to talk about um the beginnings of of the movement in the u.s i really wanted to focus on sylvia Mm -hmm. um you know i told you about this that i had written everything about sylvia first and then realized if I do this whole thing on Sylvia, I'm not going to be able to do a separate thing about Marsha without yeah. relaying most of the same information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I made it all one. Um, I just think, to me, Sylvia's a very interesting person. Yeah. Her her childhood and her young adult life is fascinating. Um, 
and I think the the fact that she's never really stopped facing persecution for her identity and doesn't get credit you know like when when people in general um not necessarily queer activists but just like the general public when they talk about who began the movement or what happened at Stonewall it really tends to be centered around Marsha mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that Marsha yeah. was obviously a very influential person and deserves to be talked about but Sylvia deserves to be talked about too yeah and I don't think she gets nearly as much attention as Marsha then or now which is very interesting to me and that's why I want to talk about her I think she's fascinating so star star stands for street transvestite action revolutionaries and uh i did kind of want to start by talking about the term transvestite um we've talked about potentially doing uh, a discussion at some point of terminology and how it's evolved over time Mm -hmm. and how there's still not a clear consensus over what terms should be used for people Um, whether it is for trans individuals or for you know umbrella terms for being queer or lgbt or gay or whatever you want to use um so we'll we'll save most of the discourse for that but i do kind of want to outline by saying you know nowadays some people do consider transvestite to be an offensive term while others think it's totally fine yeah like it's a very prominent word in like rocky horror picture show which the queers love <laughs> i love rocky horror like don't group me in i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I know we all enjoy rocky horror um cross-dresser does seem to be the preferred modern term um so i to be honest with you can't remember what i used in my notes i think i used cross-dresser but uh i can't really explain what star is if i say cross-dresser so <laughs> that's true so i'm using the term transvestite to explain that's that's what star is that's how sylvia and Marsha referred to themselves and the people that they helped so it's a lot of it's difficult i think when you look back like when i gave you sylvia's quote earlier i censored the slurs but uh they seem to be a lot more like liberal with the usage of of slurs and terms like that um and i think we talk a lot about reclaiming them but it seems like for a long period of time they weren't really lost you know yeah does that make sense Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that more like like we don't need to talk about that today but i do think it's interesting um anyway there was a lot of housing and employment discrimination as you could probably expect Uh, of their communities and harassment on the street from police and from strangers which also makes sense yeah makes sense it seems to be very expected Uh, i would expect that to still happen today Mm -hmm. so as sex workers sylvia marcia and a lot of the other people on 42nd street or on christopher street or within that area were at a high risk of being arrested arrest would place them in a men's jail because biologically they would be considered men and police obviously did not i mean still today i'm Mm -hmm. sure that would be the case um so if they were arrested they would be put in a men's jail which would then place them at a really high risk of physical and sexual assault yeah because they are 
presenting a certain mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So it's a really tricky situation. It's like the only income stream that's available to you is to sell yourself for sex. But when you do that, you put yourself at risk of being jailed and experiencing even worse situations. So it's just not it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It's just not good. Um a lot of other people came to Greenwich Village at this time and lived on the streets. Many gay people were thrown out of their homes or they ran away to a community of people like them, much like Marsha and Sylvia did. Some of them had drug problems and some of them didn't, uh, but almost none of them worked because they were too young, they had no job history, no proper ID, or they had to make sure their belongings weren't stolen. They kept most things in paper bags or in shopping carts. Only a few shelters existed, but were often run by churches that condemned homosexuality. So again, kind of a paradoxical situation for them. Uh, and there was nowhere to go for safety. There was no beds available for them. Uh, no free meals. You know, they, they didn't really have any places to go for those things. Uh, and they also just didn't really have anywhere that they could just kind of sit and not worry about being arrested because the police like to jail homeless people just for the hell of it. So, people really struggled. Sylvia and Marsha knew that the government wasn't going to help those people because they'd been in that situation. So once they started to gain uh, national attention because of Stonewall and because of the attention then focused on New York and on the region specifically they were living in, uh, in November 1970, Sylvia and Marsha rented a long-neglected, physically unsafe four-room apartment on the Lower East Side the perfect place to live. <laughs> they called this the Star House. This was the first Star House. It wasn't really a homeless shelter. It was a bit more of what they considered a drop-in center. So people would just kind of stay when they needed to and then kind of leave. There was no really formal way of doing things in the beginnings, uh, in these kind of early days of Star. Drug use was rampant. A lot of people using drugs. Uh, And as a result, there were a lot of fights among visitors, whether they were staying for a bed or Mm -hmm. just coming for a meal or visiting someone that was staying there. There were fights, a lot of fights. Sylvia and Marsha really considered themselves the parents here. Uh, They called the younger crossdressers their children. So they, yeah. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. That's that's really sweet. They were definitely very kind of maternal and... uh, Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice kind of dynamic. They offered safety in an urban environment that had none. That's how they saw themselves. That was kind of the mission Mm -hmm. of Star. Um, Rent was only $200 a month, and some of that was obtained through fundraisers, panhandling, and sex work. So a lot of people, you know, even if they had to kind of struggle and try and find ways to make money, it typically wasn't too bad for people. I mean, if you think about Sylvia's living situation with Gary, right? $25 a week for that hotel room. Yeah. That's a hundred bucks. So like for a month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was her and Gary. Um, then you've got kind of 200 bucks a month for the people living in Star House. And a lot of that was kind of obtained by sylvia and marcia and the institution as a whole so yeah. it wasn't too bad yeah um however there was a lot of mismanagement 
there was a lot of theft and there were a lack of funds because when there isn't a structure great you're gonna have those kinds of problems yeah so the house got evicted in july of 1971 so as a result and as a big fuck you to the government Sylvia and Marsha and the people living in the star house removed the refrigerator and destroyed all of the work that they had done on the house. If you're going to kick them out, might as well take your shit with you. You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. I respect it. Um, Star, as an organization, continued to function. They held meetings. They joined protest marches. And they were highly visible in the annual gay pride marches. Um, which continued to happen on Christopher Street, uh, notably the Christopher Street Liberation March, which was the first gay pride parade. Um, every year when these gay pride marches happened, Star was a big section, a big chunk uh, of of what was happening. Yeah, They supported a lot of other quote-unquote radical groups, uh, such as the Black Panthers. They supported a lot of black empowerment groups. And the Young Lords, which was Latinx empowerment uh, of the time. So they did a lot to kind of support people that were fighting for liberation and empowerment. Um, the same as they were. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, they took on a lot of issues related to homelessness, prison reform, and street violence. In the 1973 New York Gay Pride Parade, which was obviously the same year that Sylvia kind of dropped out of the movement because of the persecution she faced from our girl Jean. And the TERFs. (laughs) And the TERFs. But at the New York Gay Pride Parade, she gave a passionate speech about the lives of trans people. Which apparently was too much for the TERFs. But uh, but that speech is considered to be massively influential mm-hmm. and is definitely worth reading. Um, if I can figure things out, maybe I can play a clip. <laughs> I'm just bad at technology. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely... I don't want to read it because I couldn't do it justice. Like yeah. you, you would have to hear um, what, she, what she says. Mm-hmm. Sylvia and Marsha knew that effective political change came from working with other groups, but a lot of queer groups didn't want to work with Star. It was respected by some people from a distance, but it never received the support it needed from the larger movement. Even though Star quickly burned out... It's a pun, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should be. (laughs) It began the transgender movement that we still see today. That's nice. It was a very, very influential force in the 70s. Um, and it's important. Yeah. It's a good, a good framework. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to just kind of close out. This is like the rest of their lives. It's kind of what happened afterwards. So, <laughs> uh, so remember Sylvia at this point had dropped out of the movement. She was done. She yeah. just felt ostracized by everyone. And you can't blame her. I Yeah, it's I definitely don't blame her. Very understandable. Um, so Marsha, whose name I spelt wrong in the notes there, uh, that's fine. She continued her activism with the institution ACT UP in the 1980s. She announced in June 1992 that she had been HIV positive since 1990. Mm-hmm. So kind of when the AIDS crisis was 
really at its peak. Uh, she noted she had also been kind of struggling with HIV. She died on July 6th, 1992. And this is kind of an interesting story. She was found floating in the Hudson River, and her death was initially ruled a suicide, but there was a lot of doubt regarding whether she was suicidal or yeah. not. Uh, she'd never made any prior attempts. She obviously seemed to have had, like, fairly positive things happening in her life, right? Like, At that point, yeah. Yeah. Um, aside from, obviously, being HIV positive, but oh, she like, had she enjoyed her, her activism and yeah. her work, and that seemed to be... I feel like that be, wouldn't stop her. Right. Um, it's widely agreed that the police were not interested in properly investigating her case because she was a black trans woman. A cab <laughs> um, is all we can really say to that. <laughs> of course, then the other option is that she was probably a victim of violence. Her death received really no attention in the media. She had a couple. You know, a couple articles were written, but mostly she didn't get any attention. Um, that That's a shame. Yeah. Like, all things considered, yeah. you feel like people would care more. Right. Uh, Mariah Lopez did care more. Mariah Lopez was a transgender, is a transgender <laughs> activist still today. Um, and in 2012... She convinced the NYPD to reopen the case and investigate a possible homicide. So, 20 years after Marsha's death, they finally reopened the case. Just in time. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, so, shout out Mariah. Thank you, Mariah. Shout out Mariah. That's uh, the that's hero awesome. we need. People really pushed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I honestly don't think we'll ever know what happened to Marsha. But, uh, well, because they waited too freaking long. Yeah. Like, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just unfortunate. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. In 2015, the Marsha P. Johnston Institute was founded to protect the human rights of transgender and gender nonconforming communities. So that's Marsha's legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, as we talked about, she is widely credited as being the one who threw the brick, the one who kind of started the movement. Um, and while I think a lot of that is true, it's important to think about Sylvia's legacy as well. Yeah. Um, the last note, and I actually found this out today because this is a recent note. Uh, in August of this year, on August 31st, actually, of this year, uh, it was announced that 166,000 people signed a petition to have Marsha honored in her hometown of Elizabeth, New Jersey. And the city government announced that a statue was going to be erected by the city hall. Oh. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. So that's that's an awesome thing. Yeah. I think that, that she's going to get that official recognition because, you know, when you think about the people who are familiar with her name, I think it's typically activists. Yeah. Right? It's typically queer people um and i think it's great that she's gonna have a statue she's gonna have something to commemorate her in her hometown Mm -hmm. um so sylvia 
In the mid-1990s, Sylvia felt really ostracized and marginalized by the community. They were at that point mostly focusing on assimilating into mainstream society. She did later renew her activism. Uh, Notably, she fought for transgender people to be included in New York State's Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act. And she sought justice for Amanda Milan, a transgender woman murdered in New York City in 2000. So she did kind of get back into activism, but very disorganized and very kind of loose campaigns here and there. Yeah. As opposed to being a part of a a major... freelance work, one might say. (laughs) Um, Sylvia died of liver cancer on February 19th, 2002, at the age of 50. After her death, a street in Greenwich Village was named after her. An activist then founded the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, a nonprofit legal group that fights for the rights of trans people. That's so they really both, nice. yeah, they both have a group named after them oh. that fights for for trans rights. That's a good way to end that. <laughs> well, not the cancer thing. No, but like, and not Marsha being murdered and yeah, never, and we, us yeah. never finding out what happened. But like the fact that they're getting um, like recognition the way that they deserve is really nice. Yeah. I think it's good. I think having institutions that are named after them really shows their impact yeah. and really continues their work and their legacy. Absolutely. Um, and it's just... it's. I, I agree. It's just nice. Yeah. It's nice. Um, I don't know what else you can say because it's not the terribly nice story throughout. Yeah. But uh, You can't be like, wow, that was sick as hell. <laughs> Uh, when they died in a different way uh it was not not a great and not enjoyable time but i do i do truly think that marcia and sylvia enjoyed their lives and liked the work that they did um and after uh, you know rough childhoods i really think that they were happy with and they made a really big impact Mm -hmm. so i think like even if they were struggling like, it was all for something, and I think that's important to recognize. Yeah. So that's really it for episode one. Um, I think that was just a good place to start, you know, with the women who kind of started the whole movement. Um, Jess, who are we talking about next week? Thank you for asking, me. <laughs> uh, next week, we'll be talking about my favorite gay dancer, uh, Rudolf Nureyev. Wow amazing i know incredible i'm so excited you should be you really should be (laughs) nothing like a russian dancer (laughs) (laughs) so let's tell the people where they can find us oh you know i will uh so you guys can follow us on twitter at twtg podcast or on instagram and tiktok at those were the gays uh you can also visit twtgpodcast.com for a list of all the sources used as well as some of the pictures of these iconic women this week's really awesome inclusive nonstop bop of the week is revolution lover by left at london which I think is a very fitting song for our subject this week, and it's a great start to the Rainbow playlist. That playlist is also going to be linked on the website um, and probably in the episode description if I can figure out technology in time. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Neve, And I'm Jess. And those were the gays. <laughs>